This is Darrell Lallier, and you're listening to the Before the Man's Podcast, episode 73. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur and you are listening to the before the millions podcast hey this is mark asquith the host of the seven minute mentor podcast global entrepreneur and all-round geek and you are listening to the before the millions podcast i am mc lobster the cash flow ninja and you're listening to before the millions podcast you're listening to the before the millions podcast but whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent you've come to to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. Hey, what's up? What's going on, BTM Tribe? This is episode 73 of the Before the Millions podcast. And on today's episode, we are speaking to Mr. Omar Khan. Omar is a real estate investor who is going to talk to us about work. Yeah, work, the dreaded, the boring, the oh-so-delightful work. He's going to talk to us about what he thinks about work and, quite frankly, how much we get paid to do the work that we do and if it's enough, if money is the end goal, if it is the end-all, be-all, and if it'll satisfy all of your needs. There are so many high-income earners out there, so many high-wage employees out there who are unhappy. A lot of these people are Omar's friends. He walks us through some of his friends' stories and the discontentment that they are facing on a day-to-day basis, and even his discontentment back in the gap when he was an employee. Now, this is not an episode bashing any employee. This is simply Omar's point of view when it comes to his life, how he wants to live it out, and what is most valuable to him, his time or his money. So strap in, guys, this episode is not for the sensitive, and I know that none of my listeners are sensitive. We all have an open mind, and whether or not we believe in what each guest, I mean, every single guest has said so many contradictory statements that, that I mean, quite frankly, doesn't align with maybe even the last guest on the show, but that's okay. Every guest has their opinion. Every guest has their own lifestyle. Every guest has their own upbringing, thoughts, beliefs, goals. So our jobs or to get a behind-the-scenes look into the, the minds of some of these audacious millionaires and entrepreneurs and pick and choose what we want to resonate with, what we want to implement in our own investing journey, and what we want to kind of just discard. So on today's show, we're going to talk about the value of time versus money and how money may just not be everything. In fact, it may not account for a whole lot at all. So I should mention before we get into the show that if you haven't already joined our thriving, and I mean thriving Facebook group, do so now at beforethemillions.com slash group. That is beforethemillions.com slash group. I think we have like three to 400 members in there now. It's crazy. On a consistent basis, we do these Q&As with members of the group and we answer their real estate questions, their passive income questions. So if you're looking to be a part of a thriving community, it's going to help you to and through your goals. It's going to provide you with connections, resources, Q&As, goodies, camaraderie, everything that you could possibly need to kind of keep you pushing down your path. Then join us. Join our group at beforethemillions.com slash group. So let's get to the show and see what Omar, the budding multifamily syndicator, the master of analyzing deals and a CFA charter holder has to say. DeRay's tip of the week. Money isn't everything. Where there's a shocker, right? Some of you just fell out of your chair. What? What, DeRay? Money? What? Are you crazy? Here's the thing that we haven't yet used on this podcast, which is kind of ironic. Work-life balance. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to the everyday American citizen? 
What is work-life balance? How much is work-life balance worth to you? If you could go to work tomorrow and get paid half a million dollars a year, but the new stipulation is that you have to work 90-hour weeks every single week, would that be worth it? You know, I think about the average professional and I think about the average digital nomad and there's no right answer when it comes to this question. There's only preference. If you're a working professional, you're making $200,000 a year You for a nice corporate prestige company, you wear button downs or tailored suits or stockings and stuff every day. You have a ton of coworkers. You guys go out to lunch together. There's office politics, there's gossip, there's good food, there's enjoyment, there's sadness, there's there's family. I mean, these people kind of sometimes eventually become your family. You spend more time with them than you actually spend with your own family. And you're making $200,000 a year. And you're driving into work every day, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. You have a pretty okay car, maybe even a nice car. And you pay median rent in the area and you're doing okay for yourself. And every single year you get a 5 to 10% increase on your salary. They give you just enough, just enough to keep you going. So that's person A. Person B, maybe only make 60 grand, 70 grand a year, less than half of the corporate professional. But they do all of this online. So there's no big fancy smanchy office. There's no dry cleaning. There's no tailored suits. There's no office politics, but there can be loneliness There can be depression where there is depression on both ends. There can be a lack of direction. But at the same time, you have no obligations to your current location. All of the money you make is online. There's no reason, no reason at all for you to be inside of the city paying high rents so that you can get to work on time or live super, super far out, paying a little bit lower rent so that you can drive an hour to work. You don't even think about these conditions. The only thing that's on your mind is where am I going to work from next month? What city, what state, what country? You're making far less, but you're also working far less hours. And you have a much better quality of life because you're able to spend time doing the things that you really want to do and spend time with the people that you choose to spend time with, not the people that you you get assigned to. Now, I get it. You're location independent, but you're also giving up the camaraderie of a local community in person, live face-to-face interactions. And that's big for a lot of us. I wish that you did not have to choose. What's crazy is most people that take the professional path say that money isn't everything, but they spend their lives and their time chasing after that thing, which is not everything. While the entrepreneurial spirits, the digital nomads, investors, freelancers, business owners who spend a certain amount of time to ramp up and maybe chase after that golden object that green, that cheddar to build something that creates it over and over again so that they no longer have to worry about it. They, in fact, live by that mantra that money isn't everything, but they're the first ones to get thrown under the bus because they're capitalists, because they're greedy, because they are the ones that are exhibiting actions that lead people to believe that they think money is everything. Ironic? Now, it's clear from this narrative what side I'm on, what side I prefer But like I said, to each its own. I have plenty of friends that are professionals and love what they do, love their environment. And I love that they love that. And I love being a part of their lives and hearing about their experiences. I knew though, something about that setting just wasn't right for me. I mean, I have been flying since two, three months old internationally. My very first flight was to London, barely two months old. I feel like it's almost in my blood. I'm surprised that I did not seek this lifestyle sooner. Although I yearned for it, I knew that there was something out there. I just did not understand or wasn't communicated to me that there was a such thing. I'm going to leave you with this Dalai Lama quote, and you will find this Dalai Lama quote all over the internet. And the crazy thing about this quote is that it's not really from the Dalai Lama, but if you search it and you Google it, you will see that every single hit that comes up will have quoted or said that it's quoted from the Dalai Lama, but that's completely incorrect. This quote is actually, actually from a feller named James Lachard. And the quote goes like this, man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money, then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he's so anxious about 
the future that he doesn't even enjoy the present. The result being is that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die. And then he dies having never really lived. So I say again, money isn't everything. And the way I look at things is that I am not going to work 40, 50 years focusing on money and never really getting ahead because I'm worried about the banks, I'm worried about taxes, and I'm worried about the company that I'm working for. Never really accomplishing the goal, the money goal that I ever had in the first place. But instead, I take my focus off of money. I become an entrepreneur and I put my focus on helping people and being fulfilled and trusting and knowing that through divinity, everything that I need and want will be readily supplied to me. The crazy thing is that if money really was everything, I still wouldn't probably choose that professional path anyways, because at least with this path, I'm able to build up assets, generational wealth, stability for my family, and grant their hearts dreams and desires. So whether or not it's everything, for me, there's only one clear path. And I can say that I've been doing this long enough to know that many people are not going to agree with my opinion. And I'm not going to agree with many other opinions, but I think that's the beauty of it. I think we're all going to have our own philosophy. We're going to take bits and pieces from different people, from things that resonate with us, and we're going to apply that to our lives. Many of you guys that have been listening to this podcast for a long time know that I'm not going to push my beliefs on you, but that if you're listening to this channel, to this podcast, this episode, if you're tuned in, if you're subscribed, that some of the things that I say may resonate with you. You may even be in alignment with a lot of the things that I'm saying. You may just not have a way or have explored a way to get to the things that you truly want, to tap into the person that you want to be. Maybe it hasn't been communicated to you. Maybe you haven't went to seek the proper guidance or intelligence. Maybe your motivation is not there yet. Maybe it'll never be there. Maybe you're content. For some of you, you have a completely different belief system than I do, but you enjoy my podcast. You enjoy just being able to to hear a different perspective. And you know that we're not going to agree on everything, but you can appreciate that. And I'm thankful for all of you. My biggest hope and desire for each and every one of you is that you do exactly what it is, what it is that's nagging at your heart, what it is that you truly want to do with your time here on this planet that you go after that and don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for societal norms. You are one of 7 billion people and you could have been born at any time to any parents at any given location on this planet. And depending on all of those things, you would have been brought up with a certain belief system based on your, 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 your parents, your surroundings, your friends, the media that you're, that you're exposed to your upbringing, the laws that you're governed by, the religion that you are brought into, all of this shapes us. You know, the more and more I grow and I get older, the more and more I realize there's really, I mean, we really don't know anything. Our beliefs here, the way of thinking, the conclusions that we've drawn, what we know to be true, factual, quote unquote, are merely opinions that we formed beliefs that we formed over the years. And we've accepted those as truths. Because if you would have been born 600 years ago, halfway across the world, you would not have any of the same beliefs you have right now, any of them. So what is real? What is true? Who's to tell you what's possible and what's not possible? Who's to dictate the type of life that you are supposed to live? You have to look within. What do I really want? Who do I want to be? What kind of mark do I want to make on this world? So I hope you guys see that money isn't everything. This is so much bigger than money. So much bigger. Shout out to the longest tip of the week ever. (laughs) Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Guys, we are welcoming CFA charter holder Omar Khan. (laughs) Omar, how's it going? It's going great, man. How are you? Very excited to be on your show. Yeah, I'm excited as well. Let's take it back into the time machine. Let's talk about the corporate Omar or the professional Omar. And let's talk about some of the things that you were doing back then and what maybe turned your sights to real estate. 
Well, you know, that's a good question. I haven't really been asked in that much detail about this question. Essentially, you know, I got, I have the typical story, got good grades, went to a top tier school, University of Toronto, it's top 10 globally ranked, something like that. I'm not going to bore you with that. And essentially, you know, when I graduated finance, the whole deal was you go finance, you find a good job in asset management, investment banking, or maybe say the top, you know, professional services firm like Lloyd KPMG, you know, all those kinds of firms. Did that for a little while, did M&A, then, uh, you know, did sell-side equity research, investment banking sort of thing. And I moved down to the U.S. And when I moved down here, you know, one of the things that I had always cherished, and I'm still... Well, I'm still trying to develop this idea, right? One of the things I've always cherished growing up, my family was all a bunch of entrepreneurs. So yeah, so with that journey, everybody, you know, these days we see on Instagram, every entrepreneur is on a jet. I mean, I wasn't like that. I mean, so there's really good times and there's really bad times. So, you know, you, you go the ebb and flow, but the big deal that I was seeing was that my parents, more especially my father, they always had the time. They had the time to attend our school plays. They had the time to attend our sports games. You know, they had the time to be there. And obviously, you know, with some, obviously, with some exceptions, obviously. But it wasn't like they were on the clock always. And one of my biggest things was, look, I was working 800 hours a week. I'm still transitioning out of that. And the whole idea was that, dude, like, I make decent money, you know, but I just don't have any time. I don't have any peace of mind. And it's not just me. One of the big things I'm going to tell you is that when I was working in equity research and I had a great boss, he was, he was a nice guy. I'm not saying great. He was a nice guy. Right? And one day we, we spent 36 hours in the office. I'm not even joking with you because this is the earnings season, right? So you just go, 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 go. Right. And we were out late night for drinks and the guy tells me, you know, man, I really like you. I think you're doing a great job. And you know, we want you to stick around and you can be just like us. And obviously I was like, hey, thank you very much. And inside I was like, oh my God, I really don't want to be like you. Oh crap. I do not want, immediately like that thing just happened like that, right? I hadn't even thought of this before. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be like you. Yeah, you make a lot of money and he made a lot of money. But man, that guy's life was living hell. I mean, he was on call all the time. I remember getting emails from him when he is on vacation with his six-month-old son and his wife saying, man, I think I need a vacation from my vacation. Just because he's getting pounded with emails, right? Pounded, pounded, pounded. And I'm thinking, here's a guy, he's probably top one or 2% in his profession, right? This is a global bulge bracket bank, top of the top, right? And this guy, he can't even go to sleep at night, probably. You know, he hasn't had the luxury of a nice comforting sleep in the past eight years, right? He makes a boatload of money, but buddy can't go to sleep, but he has practically no days off because, you know, pounding, 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 do this, do that, do this, do that. What kind of life is this? You know, what am I going to do with all this money? And it's that moment, like a penny dropped. And I knew I kind of had to change my MO, yeah. right? So all these things, you know, you don't realize about these things, but they're all inside of you. And it just happened all of a sudden. I was like, oh, I really don't want this to happen to me. I think many of us entrepreneurs come to that realization and mine is very similar to yours. You know, I worked for a big four accounting firm and I was literally, I Oh mean, man, <laughs> were you an accountant? Like, were you auditing? Yeah, public? I was an auditor. I was an, oh, I was auditing real God. estate. <laughs> oh, that is horrible. Yeah. Lots of friends were big four. Oh. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. And it was one of those things to where, I mean, even, even the, I mean, you would think that, you know, it's a glamorous life. They sell you all these dreams in college. Like, yeah, you're going to get to travel. You're going to get to Yeah, you get to travel travel but to their preferred hotel and concert yeah 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 so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not like you're traveling <laughs> on a sunday afternoon enjoying my day and i get a text from my senior manager saying that we're leaving to san francisco the next day i doesn't want to go to san fran right yeah she said we'll be out there for three weeks go ahead and start packing your bags i said okay cool i go to san francisco and i don't think i saw san francisco <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, don't, I didn't see any daylight, none whatsoever. And it was like, I was still in my cubicle in Houston. And it you know, there's a joke, my brother, my, my cousin's, uh, so my brother-in-law, sorry, right? He was working in uh, Toronto. So what happened is he was at the last station on the, uh, the Toronto TDC, the Toronto Transit Commission subway. And his building was connected underground to the subway station. Mm -hmm. And he would come to the last station, Union Station in Toronto, and the RBC towers are literally connected underground, right? And I'm kidding you not. I kid you not. He said for a good four months, he did not see sunlight because he would leave home at six, go down, 
get all the way there in time for the earnings call, go all the way up. And, you know, when he wanted to go for lunch, he would just go down into the sub, you know, that underground path system that they have. And every single day he would leave and he said, you know what it hit me? After four months, I had just, because he was working seven days a week. It's like after four months, one day I just took my daughter out to the park and she's swinging on, you know, swing and all that. And I'm thinking, this is really weird. I haven't felt this in a long time. <laughs> that is crazy. I mean, that's just absurd. And you think about what's our motivation for that? I mean, why are we doing that? Is it because of the money? Is the money that important? And is it so much important that you're going to sacrifice the best years of your life working? Yeah, but it's not even that. Because once I started taking that, I did the math on this and I said, okay. Look, I get it if you paid me $10 million, I get it. Because what they call in like finance terms, it's called, I don't know if I can use this word, I apologize, it's called fuck you money, right? Yeah. Where you pay somebody <laughs> so much money that they'll drop everything and be like, all right, because you do two years of that thing and then literally you can retire, right? But nobody, short of like say maybe a couple of partners, and I'm talking a couple of partners in say New York, Boston, Dallas, San Francisco, short of that in the big four, nobody in that entire hierarchy is getting paid enough money to basically do it for five years in Buffalo. Yeah. You just don't get paid enough money. Look, even if you paid half a million dollars a year, after taxes, it's probably 300,000, right? And let's assume you've got some expenses, but you're really frugal, right? So let's assume you've got a kid, you've only spent $100,000, which is impossible if you live in one of these bigger cities. So let's assume you've got $200,000, right? Now, if you're say a senior manager at a big four, you do it for five years, that's a million dollars. Do you think you can retire at 35 with a million dollars? What the hell are you going to do, man? Your kids are, are, do they, are they not going to go to school? Are you not going to eat? What are you going to do? What? I have clients that make $40,000 a year and I have clients that make $400,000 a year, Omar. And it's crazy how they have the exact, I mean, Omar, I mean the exact same problems. The, the guy making $40,000 a year, maybe he pays $800 in rent. And the guy making $400,000 a year, maybe he pays $3,000 in rent. Maybe he has two cars. Maybe he has a wife and, and three kids. And they, at the end of the month, they're getting 50% of their money taken away in taxes. They're getting the rest of that taken away in bills, such as student loans, mortgages. Yeah. Notes. I mean, it's one of those things to where every single person I see going down that track, regardless of how much you make, is falling into the same pigeonhole. It's falling into the same demise. But you have been so different. So once you realize that day you had that awakening moment, you had that aha moment, what was next? What did you decide to do with your life? How did you decide well, to take life by the horns? Yeah, well, it's not easy, right? Because now the other problem is I'm used to a good lifestyle. And by the way, that's how they catch you. Because I have a buddy who works in Fortress. He's a private equity, big private equity firm. And he's been thinking about doing his MBA for three years. And last December, he emailed me and said, you know what? And again, I'm sorry if I'm using, can I? Can I no, you're fine, you're fine. Literally his text message went, son of a bitch. My <laughs> MP knows exactly how much to pay me right down to the cent for me to say, yeah, I'm gonna do my MBA one year from now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna defer doing my MBA because they know exactly how much to pay you right down to the cent. So you never leave, but you get used to a higher lifestyle. So well, what do you do now? right? <laughs> what really are you going to do? Right? Yeah. So for me, what essentially happened is when I moved down to Canada, from Canada three years ago, I was talking to my wife and I was like, look, we've got to find a way to quit this. My wife is a physician, so she's probably never going to quit this because she actually enjoys her work. Unlike a lot of finance accounting, she actually intrinsically enjoys her work, which took me about six months to understand that people intrinsically enjoy their work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm, still trying, I'm still trying to grasp that. <laughs> no, people intrinsically enjoy a W-2 job. Right? I was like, well, that can't be. You're just BSing, whatever. But they do, right? I mean, there's some people out there that just don't happen to be a lot of people in my accounting and finance background. So what we're trying to do is I had to place some of my own money and some of my family's money just to get started, right? So I knew finance stone cold. I mean, that's what I did for a living, man. Okay. And I did it at a much higher level than most real estate syndicators are doing. Because really, most real estate syndication is basically a cash flow model. I'm talking just finance, right? Yeah. I started talking to people. And very quickly, I realized, okay, there's lots of, you know, legs to this, you know, there's lots of arms to this whole game. But in finance, most people were so freaking horrible. It was shocking. Like people are telling me BS. I'm like, buddy, like I'm just taking your numbers. I'm adding them together and they do not make sense. What are you trying to tell me? Man? Come on. I know how to do arithmetic. <laughs> that's, not a higher, that's not a higher level thing you learn in college. You learn this in third grade, how to add three numbers together. Right. So what happened is I started going to go interviewing people 
I very quickly realized, okay, who the good players were, who were kind of eh, okay, and who were just too high a level for me right now that it wasn't interested because I wasn't interested in getting another W2 job, right? It wasn't like go work for an institution, do the exact same thing that I was doing earlier, but in a different industry. So I started building out my team and one thing led to another. And that's how I kind of moved into the whole real estate syndication thing. Lots of other reasons behind it. Look, my family had invested in real estate. I kind of grew up, da, 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 da. But the big deal there was that now you're trying to set up a business and not necessarily, hey, I'm just going to be another W-2 worker for another company, you know, but in a different industry. So Omar, what's the difference? I mean, why, why set up a business? Why go down that route? What, what was the benefit of that? Well, it's honestly, man, uh, look, a lot of, the money isn't too bad, I'll be honest with you. But the bigger reason is it's purely management of my time. That's it. Yeah. Like a lot of, I'm being very honest with you. A lot of, the, I don't know one person working in corporate America, corporate Canada, who does not spend at least 50% of their time just procrastinating. Straight up. Procrast I don't care. You work in a hedge fund, you work in an investment bank. I don't care how long you look at a spreadsheet or you look at your maps or whatever you do. You're probably spending 50% of your time daydreaming or procrastinating. And that's just the way it is. I mean, you can, I, I've worked in investment banks. I've worked in M&A shops. Yeah. People are pretending to work. Okay, that, that's it. So the other 50% of your time, as it is, 30% of the time you're playing politics because either you're passing the buck to somebody and CYA cover your ass, you know, or some version of that. Really, so it's 20% of your time you really, if you think about it, working, working. Yeah. So what about the other 80%, man? I don't want to be beholden, right? I don't want to have a boss. And look, especially now that I've had a kid, he's nine months old. I want to start, I really enjoy my work, but I want to start doing it in my terms. You know, so it's, it's that sort of a deal. It's more time management more than anything else. I love that. So let's take, and I'm going to ask you this question, but let's take real estate out of the equation as far yeah. as an investment goes. Yeah. For you personally, what's been the most worthwhile investment for you, whether this is, a, this is an investment of money, of time, or of energy? I really suck at this, but so I'm improving. I think the biggest investment for me personally has been the investment in my relationships. Nice. So like with my, look, with my wife, I'm continuously developing that relationship. You know, it's, it's becoming deeper and deeper as, you know, we've been married for three years, but you know, over a period of time, you develop a deeper relationship. And now that I've had a son, he's nine months old, picking up on his cues, spending more time. Cause a lot of times I'm just guilty that I'm doing my, my work, right? Mm -hmm but I'm not spending time with him, even though, you know, he's growing up and I know this is, I only get one shot at this. He's not going to grow up twice, <laughs> you know? So yeah. these are such formative times that there's always that little thing. And plus with friends, obviously, look, man, I've got friends all over. And a lot of times I have a question, mostly they're stupid. Uh, I just text a friend and they tell yeah. me what to do. That's it. Now, Omar, you've been to quite a few countries, quite a few continents, and you've done a lot of traveling. You've lived in quite a few places in your day. And it's one of those things to where we like to talk about lifestyle design on the show. Mm -hmm. And what, what's the importance of travel to you? I mean, you're now in Dallas, Texas, and that's so different from Canada. That's, that's so different from Dubai. That's so different from a lot of the places you've been. So maybe what's prompting the moves and why, what, what's the significance of lifestyle for you? Well, look, I was in Toronto when I graduated from school. I started doing the work, but I was poached to Calgary. Calgary is like the oil and gas capital of Canada. Just because my NX boss was there, he poached me and, you know, I did all of that kind of stuff. And then when I was getting married, the move to Dallas was pretty simple, relatively speaking, because look, when I was getting married, my wife is an American trained physician. So for her to move up to Canada, apparently I did all the research and I think the entire Canadian government would have had to stop just to let her into the bureaucracy. There was such a bureaucratic process. I never thought I'd leave Canada. Okay, I love yeah. Canada, right? But it's such a bureaucratic process just for her to get back in. She'd have to do so many things. I mean, she was done with the residency. I was like, man, I'm not going to subject you to this kind of torture. This is stupid, right? This is just government bureaucracy at its finest, right? So when we were deciding to move down to the U.S., I... There was, I wanted to not, I told her, the only thing I'm stressing here, I do not want to move to the Canada of the U.S. I don't want to move anywhere cold. So if it's warm, really, it's Southern California, but I'm not a billionaire, right? So that's kind yeah. of the equation. I love Southern California, but I just don't make that kind of stats. Dope. It's not Florida, because I'm not a 65-year-old Canadian looking to retire. So basically, it's Texas. So we went to Houston and Dallas, because uh, we wanted to stay between these two cities. Houston because of oil and gas, and Dallas just because... Everybody I had met on my way down to Houston, I met three ladies and they all told me, you should go to Dallas. I love Dallas. I was like, okay, so God is sending me so many signs. 
I got to try out Dallas, right? So I came, I interviewed for a couple of roles. I got a few jobs from Houston, a few jobs in Dallas. I kind of like Dallas, so I moved out here. Nice. Nice. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I want to progress down your path a little bit further. I want to talk about you've been able to form a partnership with some previous guests on the show and some guests that are yet to be on the show. And it's like, how does, you know, somebody from Canada, somebody from Austin and an Australian and a few other people, how do these people get together? Like, what, what was the inception of this, you know, your, your company and how did this all formulate? Well, you just start asking a lot of questions, right? Number one, because we're all, look, I think we're all, regardless of whether we work in a W-2 job, regardless if we have a really high paying W-2 job, we all, at the end of the day, everybody likes freedom. Everybody, nobody wants to be a slave to the machine. Nobody, even the, even the person running the machine does not want to be a slave to the machine, right? So we just started asking questions. As I told you, I started, co- you know, interviewing folks, looking at the financial sides and all of that. And, you know, when you go through one door, three more doors open up. And when you start systematically drilling down on opportunities, on people, on groups, you start realizing, okay, this person knows that person. That person knows this person. Hey, this person introduced me to that person, right? So there is no, I'd like to say there was a grand plan, but there was no grand plan. It was more serendipity. And, you know, just asking the right questions at the right time with the right people. So a lot of luck and serendipity is also involved. Nice. So what's the business that you currently operate now? Let's take us to present day and kind of show us a 30,000 foot view of what you currently do and, and how everything kind of fits together for you. So what we do specifically is multifamily syndications. So I have some partners who focus on Texas primarily, but we are focused, like me and some of my other partners, we're focusing on Florida because what happens is we have lots of investors who co-invest in all of our deals, right? One guy goes here, one guy goes there, but they're all the same pool. So a lot of those folks, they came to me and said, look, we've got a lot of money tied up in Texas. We really like you. We like what you're doing. We like the way you look at things, how you analyze, I'm not going to bore you and stuff. But we've got lots of money tied up in Texas. So if you go find us some opportunities elsewhere, take my money. Here you go. Let's do it. Right? Because, but that only happened because I built up a relationship. They kind of knew my background. You know, it wasn't just like, like that. You know, it, it took a little time. So that's why we're actively expanding into Florida. And just to give you an example, I'm here right now, but one of my partners, he's actually in Florida, Jacksonville right now. He's touring properties. He's talking to brokers. We, I set up everything. I mean, we set up everything together. And, you know, that's it. And a lot of people ask me, hey, how many deals do you like to do? And I was like, look, ideally, if the numbers don't make sense, I will do zero deals. Because in every deal, my own money goes into the deal. So I, like the first question is, is this good for me? Because if it's not good for me, I'm not going to go market this out for somebody else. For sure. For sure. I love that. How is, how is maybe failure? And I like to cover this because this kind of shows us an insight into your world. Yeah. It shows us how you think, how you overcome challenges and obstacles. And I want to bring up maybe your, one of your most pivotal entrepreneurial moments and how failure or maybe apparent failure has kind of defined you or set you up for later success. Okay. Well, there's a lot of stories. So how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Pick the one that sticks out the most. <laughs> okay, look, I'll tell you the one right at the start of my, it wasn't the entrepreneurial journey, but I now looking back, I realized, oh, it was really important. So I graduated literally in the middle of the 2008 crisis. I was in finance, I was in Toronto, and I distinctly remember, because Toronto is a finance town, right? It's like, How did you, you find a job? <laughs> uh, let me tell you that, right? So what happened is, I distinctly remember that for six weeks straight, even on job sites like Monster and, you know, all of these other sites that were there. There was not a job, not even a line cook job in Toronto. And I know this because for six weeks straight in September and October, I got up and every single day I looked at all the jobs that were out there. So not just for my private network. And these were jobs that honestly, if you told me six months ago, I'd be like, yeah, bro, I'm not going to do these jobs. Right? Literally for six weeks straight, there was nothing. And, you know, then it takes a lot of times for these things to come back, right? So the first job that I got in RBC Royal Bank of Canada was purely because I knew a senior of mine in, high, uh, in college. He'd gotten a job there. It's a really great job. And, you know, I kept pestering him, right? The pestering, the pestering. I mean, he was a nice guy. We had a good relationship. It wasn't like strangers, right? So I asked him in September. He said, hey, talk to me in a couple of weeks. And I talked to him in October. He said, talk to me in a couple of weeks. And I talked to him in October. And he said, twice in October. And eventually I got a job in December or something like that, right? And that was sheer luck. 
there, there was no other reason. It wasn't my sheer brilliance. I didn't vow people. But, and after that too, because it took a long time for things to recover. So what was I doing then? I was relentlessly pounding the pavement. I was meeting people, I was shaking hands. I was relentlessly writing my resumes, writing my cover letters, you know, doing all these things you're supposed to be doing, but I was doing this, I was literally 10xing this. To the fact that literally, I think I wrote, I can now write a cover letter, like a, like a pretty freaking awesome cover letter and resume in like an hour, less than an hour, I can build it from a white piece of paper, right? Literally what people are looking for. Why? I could only do this and just repeating my story over and over and over and over and over again. So now, for instance, when I go for an interview, you know, somebody's interviewing, say, hey, what do you do? Da, 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 da. Honestly, you can wake me up in the middle of the night and I can go like that. And the biggest thing it told me was that, look, it sucks that the economy is bad. It sucks that I just had the sheer dumb luck. But I mean, that's the hand I've been dealt with. So there's no use complaining. Yeah. I don't have time for that. You know, I got to do something about it. But it was a good lesson to learn at the start of my journey because I know a lot of guys who unfortunately got hit. 2008 was when they were 45 or 48 or 55. And then that just wiped them off. They're, they're still not recovered. Because it just, you know, it just came in at such a wrong time for them that they could not recover. But I was lucky. So looking back now, I think I'm lucky. But during that time for the first three, four years, Man, I honestly thought I was like an old guy shouting into the air. Nice. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I mean, that's a learning moment. And I'm kind of fast forwarding down your path, Omar, because we definitely do want to get to the strategy portion. Yeah. When we, when we look at maybe the last six months, let's think of a purchase less than $100. So an investment less than $100 that has most impacted your life in the past six months. Oh, I, that's pretty easy. I, I rebought uh, Great Expectations from Charles Dickens. It's a, it's a novel from a long time ago. I read it as a kid. And what, I mean, it's a great novel. I just read it because I really like the novel. And I think it's a great story. I don't know if you've read it. It's a great story about personal growth, personal development of an orphan named Pip. But it also deals a lot with crushing depression and crushing disappointment, but also the really high highs, right? And I realized when I read it as a kid, I didn't get everything in that book. I, I probably still don't get everything. But it was very interesting just to go do it and see the arc of how, you know, people are strong, successful or depressed and how it goes up and how it goes down and to realize that nothing is permanent. You know, things are temporary. And as long as we slog it out, more likely than not, we'll be fine. Yeah. As long as you keep going. I mean, yeah, as long as you keep going, right? As long as you see that there's light at the end of the tunnel. That's it. That's it. That's it. I mean, so many people stop shy of that mark. So many people, you know, it, it, I think that's the difference between a, a successful entrepreneur and a, a successful entrepreneur is, is who's going to keep going, who has the guts, who has the tenacity to see their dream and their vision through. And a lot yeah. of, people, you know, once the going gets tough, the people that aren't tough, they don't get going and the tough people, they get going. So that's why once the going gets tough, the tough gets going. And I love that, that quote. So let's maybe wrap this up with this. When, you know, you talk about this book called The Great Expectation, which I'm definitely going to put in the show notes, but, you know, it sounds like this is coming from a place of overwhelm or maybe a place of, you know, you wanting to get back in tune or in alignment with yourself. So maybe whenever you are feeling overwhelmed, and this can be something that you learn from this book or something that you've learned mm -hmm. over the years, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling unfocused, uh, what, what do you do to get yourself back in alignment or maybe what questions do you ask yourself dude i just visualize all the time every single time i visualize i'm, I'm thinking visualize about success i read a great story when i was a kid it's called uh, imagine success so, uh, again details we can talk about later but i visualize and i didn't know this as a kid but now i hear like michael jordan is like the king of visualizations right and lebron is like killing it at visualization so i just visualize all the time and i tell myself look you gotta do it you gotta do it that's key. You know? That's key. I mean, I love that. And I've been implementing visualizations for a few years now. It's one of those things to where I implemented in what I call my miracle morning. I'm sure you've heard of with uh, Hal Elrod. Mm -hmm. It's been amazing, but I want to take it a step further. I know a lot of people have been talking about vision boards and sometimes it's played out, but I really want to try that in my life and see how that works out. Have you, have you uh, heard of a vision board or tried a vision board before? Yeah, I, I saw it. I think it makes a lot of sense, but it requires a certain amount of discipline, which I don't have because I have a nine month old son. <laughs> And I'm juggling, but I do think it's a great idea. And I think it's, it's a habit. So if you get into that habit, you don't even realize and you do it. 
I love it. I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, Omar, let's talk about let's talk about some some multifamily. Let's get into mm-hmm. some, some some of what you do on a daily basis and and what how you've been able to build up this lifestyle that you've been able to build up. You know, let's look at your business from again a thirty thousand foot view mm-hmm. and give us the reason you're in the space that you're in now. And then maybe if some listeners are looking to kind of get involved, how normally one would go about getting on that path. Again, it may not it may not be necessarily the path that you've taken. If mm-hmm. you have seen other people take an easier path or more formidable path, or you have a way for the listeners to kind of start down their journey, but maybe talk about the best way to get started. Well, first of all, I don't think there's an easier or difficult path because everybody's path is slightly different because we all have different skills and strengths and all of that stuff. For me personally, what I realized was, again, time was a big thing. But what I'm seeing with a lot of folks is that a lot of folks think that if you take a weekend course, and I think Dallas is like ground zero for this thing. (laughs) Just, Just sheer dumb luck again that I've been going that people think you take a weekend course for something and suddenly you become a tax strategist, you become a broker, you become, I don't know, a physician. You, I mean, you can do everything because your guru basically told you that you just have to know your why. And one of the questions I've asked is to a lot of these folks, I was like, look, this is great. I want to be the greatest basketball player on the planet. It doesn't matter how much I visualize, LeBron James is going to kick my ass. You know, it doesn't matter how big my why is. You know what? LeBron James has got a better shot and defense and everything else. So, you know, you've got to realize what your strengths are. But look, conversely, I'm probably sure, and look, I might have to eat my words, I can probably destroy LeBron James in underwriting. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Not that we're having a competition, but you know, my point is you've got to pick your strengths, right? I mean, it is what the hand you've been dealt with life, there's no use complaining about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's just the way it is. So, I love that. And I don't know if you have people that you've kind of brought on to kind of train and that work for you guys, but what makes a good underwriter and how, how does one know that they're analyzing a deal in in the right form or fashion? You can never be hundred percent confident in your estimations because you have to always realize that you have to build a margin of safety. Number one, because you realize none of us has a crystal ball. So anything I tell you, anything you look and perceive at, it's an opinion in a moment in time. That's it. It's not a fact. So you know when people say, I'm so confident about this. You're like, that doesn't really work. Man. You need to give yourself some leeway, some margin of safety in case things don't work out. So number one, kind of being intellectually curious, but also understanding, having the humility to realize that, look, this is just an opinion. It's not a fact, number one. And number two, part of this is education. So obviously you need to know what you're looking at and all of this stuff. But for a lot of corporate folks, especially a lot of my finance friends, right? What I tell them is, look, man, eventually you just got to do it. You can't read a book and learn how to ride a bicycle. You know, you can read as many books as you like, but till you don't do it, till you don't do it yourself, till you don't do it without any floaters on, right? Nobody's trying to help you. It's just not the same thing. Game time is very different than simulation. Okay. But you need to do simulation. You need to do practice. But my friend, game time, it's just a very different ball game because when your money's on the line, you know, when you realize, oh, shit, if I screw up, I'm not going to make any money for one and a half years. That's when you start realizing what you're made out of. When you're speaking to somebody who is in this space, but who doesn't have our background, who's not a numbers person, but they know the nuts and bolts of this business. What is there like? I mean, how different or how much of a learning curve do they have as opposed to somebody like us? Look, if they don't take any shortcuts, they have they have a learning curve. But again, if they're intellectually curious and they have humility. It's not as tough of a learning curve because if you're dead set that you know, you know, right? My friend, it's going to be really hard for you to learn new things, right? And the biggest thing for instance, just to give you a small example, people tell me all the time, I've done my underwriting on this tiny million dollar ads. I was like, okay, that's great. Like show me what you've done. Right. Cause a lot, part of that also is a lot of times I can learn from other people, right? Cause you might've done something really cool that I never really even thought about. Right. And just multifamily syndications, just as an example, quickly. People show me annual results, and I get it because you know showing monthly results is a pain, right? But as soon as I ask for monthly results, hey, can you show me monthlies? I just want to see how your rehabs are done, how your rent is coming on, what you're layering, everything. I don't have that. Okay, that's cool. So why don't you have it? There's no need for that. I was like, so you're freaking telling me that if you run out of cash in March, and then you you know your operations keep going and you recover by October. But if you only look December to December, you think you're solvent, right? Cash flow positive, right? So you're telling me that people are going to wait six months just to get paid by you? Really? That's what people are going to do? Because yeah. let me tell you, in the real world, shit like that ain't going to fly, man. So if you're not looking granular, if you don't have the intellectual curiosity to understand, look, things can go awry. It's not going to work. Out. 
lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Oh, Before the Millions book. This is something I could recommend because I use this all the time. It's Thinking Fast and Slow. It's by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. It's behavioral finance. So essentially, you know, people tell you, hey, how is a rational person going to act, right? Like they act in their best interest. That's just BS, okay? These guys won a Nobel Prize on this guy. What they tell you is how people actually do react when you do certain things. So it's very interesting. And a lot of times now when somebody's trying to do something, I'm like, oh, that's the anchoring effect. Don't do that, buddy. Don't do anchoring. Because, you know, it's one of the... So you immediately start seeing this all around you. You start seeing what kind of BS you're telling your own self. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I'm definitely going to add that book to my yeah. book list. Um, that sounds like a, a fascinating book. And I totally agree with what you just said. So so thank you for that recommendation. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or a tool. I don't think it's an app. I think it's my wife. She gets my, she gets yes. me to do my, yes, man. I am so <laughs> lucky that I married the smartest girl I ever came across. And this is a big life hack, guys. Go marry the smartest girl, you know. Honestly, my life is so much easier, so much more pleasant and so much more happier because on the big things in life, me and my wife are on the same length. And to be honest with you, I completely, completely out of my league together. So sheer dumb luck. I love it. My biggest life hack. I love it. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Well, increasingly more and more, as I told you, I'm trying to get more control of my time. I think that's the biggest issue. And time just means to me, time signifies freedom. You know, freedom. Everybody likes to be free, but time signifies real without compromising on all factors of my quality of life. You know, I still like to go to nice restaurants. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, when we talk about the primary objective, the primary mission or goal of, you know, this podcast and why we have this platform, you know, a lot of people think that we're selfish, we're money hungry and, and real estate investors and, you know, coaches, whatever the case may be. But for me personally, and I think you can relate, Omar, it's not about the money. I mean, the money is just a tool. It's a means to something. And for, yeah. for me, it's a means to having more time, to being fulfilled, to be able to travel the world, to be able to do things for my mom, for my sister, for the people that are around me, to be able to provide, to be able to stretch out my time, not to work 80, 90 hours yeah. a week for somebody else and not have anything to show for it. So it's not about the money, but it's mm -hmm. about that tool, having that come in in a certain way to where I can go off, I can be free to do the things that I truly yeah. And I think that you align with And look, that's the purpose of life, man. Why otherwise, look, if you really wanted a stable paycheck with say the expected value is going to be the highest of your income in your life. You would keep doing professional services. You'd be in a KPMG, Deloitte, ENY, with the expectation that if you became a partner, well, hell, you'll make a lot of money, but you know. That was the dream. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Oh, apart from money and you know time and effort, I think the big sacrifices that a lot of times, look man, even right now, I can't go travel the world like a lot of my friends are. Like in as much of a capacity as they're doing, right? I can't say afford going to as many bars, restaurants, and all that other stuff, you know, buying the nicest cars and all of that kind of stuff. Look, my wife is a physician, man, okay? So even if I took my income out of the equation, we're doing fine, right? But there's a lot of sacrifice. A lot, I mean, look, a lot of our friends say, I, I, we have a Honda and a Toyota, obviously, I'm South Asian, of course, I have a Honda and a Toyota, right? <laughs> but a lot of our friends, a lot of our folks tell us, well, you could afford a nicer car. I said, yeah, buddy, I can afford a seven series right now. Doesn't mean I have to go buy it. Because a lot of that, you know, material gratification, well, we're choosing to invest it in areas where we like, right? So it's different, but that's a sacrifice, right? In a way. I love that. I love the way you phrase that so much because it's again, it's about, I mean, everybody has their advice. Even if you think about the average employee and some employees, some people in general, they love traveling. Some people, they love shopping. They love, you know, they love clothes. Some people, they love art. I mean, whatever, and I don't want to use this word. I can't think of a better word, but whatever your vice is, is like what you're going to gravitate towards. So yeah. we all spend our money differently. And it's one of those things to where do what fulfills you, do what you most, exactly. you know, so you hit it right on the head. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And again, this question is maybe a repeat to your favorite app, but we'll see. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Well, there's a whole bunch of people. For instance, obviously, you know, the usual is my parents, right? Without them, nothing would have happened with, because they were so loving and supportive in everything I did, right? 
in fact too loving and supportive sometimes they're like you should be a little harsher <laughs> right yeah but apart yeah. from that look i've had the privilege of having great teachers all throughout my high school all throughout my colleges lots of great teachers and then for instance when i was working one of the guys kent he was he's a senior to me he's more like a mentor sort of person i can you know call you know talk to about a lot of things just life in general also right and then one of my bosses leo so so many people have contributed i feel you know nobody is a self made man i don't really believe that i feel look we so many people have helped me to get to where i am that this is why a lot of times when people call me i do everything in my power to help because i have been on the other side and it sucks i love it i love it i love it so much good value there last but not least why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions even though we have every intention of getting to the millions i dude i can personally speak from my own experience that look it's really hard to take that final jump that one last jump okay i keep telling myself and i keep my friends keep telling myself you know if I, yeah you know if only i made 50 more thousand man and then i'll have enough money that i can go do this the problem is man that there's no limit to money right you can never be too comfortable i mean if the guy who has 10 million isn't comparing himself with the guy who has 50 grand he's comparing himself with the guy who has 20 million right so there'll never be that time So obviously look you've got to cross your you know P's and dot your eyes but there'll never be that time especially if you work a high paying W2 job guys look you've got a plan for the future and everything but you will there will never be a right time and I can tell you this look I'm 32 and I kick myself and I tell myself this I should have done this 10 years ago you know why I should have done this 10 years ago because I literally my cost structure was even lower than it is right now literally I could survive on nothing right there is no good time guys if you've got to do it plan it but just take the final jump that's it there's no other way around it boom 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 there you have it ladies and gentlemen the amazing mr omar khan omar this has been amazing i had so much fun i mean you dropped so much value bombs for not only myself but the listeners if the listeners kind of want to get to know you want to get a hold of you learn a little bit more about you where can they find some of your information Well they can go to our website boardwalk wealth b o a r d walkwealth.com they can also email me at umar o m a r at boardwalkwealth.com and if you go to our website you can also register with your name email address and just tell us how you found out about us and we can just enter you to our mailing list and we don't spam people because we're not even in that business so we just talk about stuff you know like the latest thing is how do you analyze a deal what are we looking at or you know cool stories we come across we just like share stuff that we're thinking about and that develops a relationship with our folks nice nice and just reach out you know just reach out to us Yep, there you have it guys. Uh, all of that information will be in the show notes of this episode, so be sure to check out the show notes guys. Again, Omar, I can't thank you enough. This has been an amazing podcast interview and we will talk to you very, very soon. Thank you very much. It was a great honor. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit to work with the Before the Millions team, here's what I want you to do next. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. That's beforethemillions.com slash call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and we'll get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what is your cash flow goal? How much are you looking to make every month? Number two, your personalized investing strategy. And number three, the best way to get started using cash flowing rental real estate. Remember, starting and scaling your real estate investments and business doesn't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We've helped clients all over the world start and scale their investing efforts to six figures and beyond while enjoying life and making the world a better place. To find out if we can help you do the same, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. I'm Dorel Lallier and let's talk soon.